Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we get to look at the readings for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, specifically the gospel lesson that comes to us from St. Luke, the 10th chapter, 25 through 37. And it is the well-known text of, well, it's the parable, the well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. And not only that, we have a huge window in church dedicated just to this parable. And it's a beautiful picture, and it tells the story, and it's really, really good. So we all know the story. You got this man, he's walking, he gets robbed, he's half dead, and then you got two guys. The first guy is a priest who makes a point to walk onto the other side of the street so that he's not touched by the um, guy that's dying. And then you got the Levite who also does the same thing. And then a Samaritan comes. And the reason the Samaritan is pointed out as a Samaritan, the guy that was robbed is a Jew. Samaritans and Jews do not get along. And so for the Samaritan to then not only help this Jew, but then to put him on his own donkey, and take him to the hotel, pay for his care. This is a huge thing. And then Jesus says um, to the Pharisees, be that guy. So can we take a minute to kind of explore this rivalry? Because sometimes, sure. um, especially with these these really well-known stories, and we've talked about this here on the podcast before, as as someone preaching a well-known parable or text. Yeah, it's always fun. It comes, it's fun, but it comes with its own challenge because it's that fine line of, okay, I have to say something interesting because mm-hmm. everyone knows the story, but I don't want to go out too far and say something that's not all that correct. Right. So I kind of have to walk this ground, but I don't want to be boring. So what do we say? And sometimes I think we know this story in particular so well that we kind of forget uh, how big of a deal this rivalry yes, was. Absolutely. And it's usually just, uh, oh, yeah, they, they didn't like each other. Moving on. And then we go to how good the Samaritan is. Right. But there's a little bit more to it. And yes, I think there's a lot more to if it. If we lose sight of it, um, then the story kind of loses some of its potency. Yes. And with this, um, earlier in the, the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus, he goes and he they, he starts spreading the gospel to the towns of Samaria. Um, and a couple weeks ago, the gospel lesson for the Sunday, we saw that Jesus sent messengers ahead of him into these Samaritan towns uh, to kind of prepare them for Jesus, mm-hmm. and they totally reject him. And with that, those Samaritans in that text, and I think that's in Luke chapter 9, yes. They don't want anything to do with Jesus, not because, you know, he's a bad public speaker or his <laughs> miracles don't work or anything like that. They don't want anything to do with him because he's Jewish. Right. And this goes to the real uh, hard line. Uh, I don't know if racism is the right word, but this 
ethnic division between yes. the Jews and the Samaritans, which goes to the fact that there's the, there's been this split, hmm. and uh, the Samaritans are kind of those who at one point were Jewish yes. and then started intermarrying with non-Jews. Right. And so there's there's been this, um, as as bad as it sounds, this this um, watering down of erosion. Yes, of of the Jewishness mm-hmm. of the people, and so the Jews kind of look at the Samaritans as less than, yes. and then the Samaritans are kind of resentful of the Jewish people because nobody's treating each other well, right. and it's a really ugly scene. And that kind of culminates in the Jewish people having their own kind of heart of worship in Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. which is where Jesus is headed in Luke chapter 9. And then you have the Samaritans who kind of have their own center of worship that they claim to be the true center of worship. um, On a mountain. Yeah, so there's this rivalry. And I mean, we think of rivalry today usually in terms of sports uh, or maybe politics if you really want to (laughs) get impolite. But um, this goes far beyond just, oh, yeah, I don't like them. This is if they were dying in the street, I wouldn't even help them. Well, and that that comes really clear in the, the parable. So, yeah. And so with that, then you get into this fact that if you have a Jewish man who is injured and then these Jewish people, a priest and a Levite, and they aren't even willing to help him, then it's like, well, Jesus is really saying something here with this parable. So I think with all that, now we can kind of dive into the meat of it and and remember really what's going on here. No, I I really appreciate that because it does set the foundation as to why Jesus lays out this parable against the Pharisees. Because this isn't just a nice story. This isn't just love your neighbor. He really shows to what lengths we should be doing this. And again, it's leveled at the Pharisees, and it is also leveled at our Pharisaical practices of our sinful nature. And so with this, so um, I want to put you on the spot. Okay. Um, I've, there, there's several ways to look at this parable, and I want to throw this one at you, that Jesus is the man robbed, mm-hmm. that he takes on all the the pain, the hurt, the, the torments of, of life. And so I, I like that because, yeah, Jesus suffers, and he's laying the grounds for my future suffering. He's heading to Jerusalem and so on and so forth. So how can Jesus be the man who is robbed, left half dead? Can, can we do that? Can we make Jesus the one that's robbed? Well, I think that's uh, there's that's usually the move that's made. I think that's kind of the most popular move mm-hmm. with this, and I, I don't have a problem with that. Well, okay, then how? How, though? Cause, because cause I... people a lot smarter than me have, have decoded it that way, and it makes sense. But um, what he's trying to do uh, is get to this idea of what it means to help others, okay. um, and then with Jesus in mind, you look at how he helped us, how he saved us, Mm -hmm. is probably a better way to look at it, but um, he saves us by giving up his life. Um, And so in that way, it's kind of a, Jesus is doing the work, but but things are done to him, upon him, that kind of brings him in light of this, into the the light of this man who was robbed, uh, especially on someone else's behalf. Does that make any sense? No, I'm with you. But then my question, and this is where I always get stuck, the Samaritan. Who's the Samaritan? Because we, we get the, the robbing. He, 
half dead, suffering. I, I get all that. That's a great one-to-one correlation. But then who saves Jesus? Because Jesus is on the cross, mm-hmm. and you got the Pharisees and everybody else. He saved others. Let him save himself. Ooh, he's calling to Elijah. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. And nobody is there to help Jesus. But yet in the parable, we got the Samaritan who comes and saves the, the robbed man. Who saves Jesus? At the seminary, um, I've, <laughs> I've heard a couple times okay. in those first two years there that eventually every analogy breaks down. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes with our parables, and some of them I think are more obvious than others mm-hmm. when we kind of decode them. Um, this one's got a little more gray area, so I'm, I'm just going to punt on that and say, I, I, I want to know what you think, because I don't have a great answer to that, and I don't want to make myself sound any sillier than I already am. Well, no, no, not at all. Um because I, I don't have any answer. Um, and I, I think the great uh, interesting aspect with, with uh, parables, Jesus is using this to make several points. It's not just a one and done. It's not just, here's my only point. I, I think it's a really big point. I always struggle with putting everything in the Bible is Christocentric. It's all about Jesus, and it's all about his work for our salvation. And with this, I don't think there's a one-to-one correlation. Here's Jesus. Here's the people. Jesus does this. People are saved. You know, I I don't see that. And I think that's good. And I I liked one of your statements, a gray area. How do we actually uh, impose this upon our life without making us the center and without losing Jesus? And with that, um, we're the robbed. And we're at enmity with Jesus, the Samaritan, who comes and gives and saves and rescues. That's easy. And that's just the other flip side to that. Um, But I really do think there's so much more because we're also the priest. We're also the Levite. Um, The the priest makes a point. And our our stained glass window, I I really appreciate it because you can see it almost seems like he's grabbing his robe to make sure that he – there is no chance – of him touching the dying man because mm-hmm. he, he needs to be ceremonially clean. He needs to do his job, his work, and so on and so forth. The Levite, likewise, makes sure to be goes to the other side of the road. This is what we do by nature. Mm-hmm. Oh, you need help? I'm too busy. Or, um, yeah, let me get this done. Let me do this. Or the help you need is beyond the scope of what I can do. Hope somebody comes along and helps you. That looks like it's going to be too messy. Yeah. I don't want to get my hands right. dirty. I don't want to change my plans, all that good stuff. Yeah. So what you're talking about here now is kind of, and that's where we can kind of mm-hmm. oh, absolutely. identify with different characters in the parable. But the other kind of main way of taking this, I think, is reading Jesus as the good Samaritan. Yes. And that, I think, is even more uh, interesting mm-hmm. Because now you have Jesus with the, all the, the rivalries in mind, mm-hmm. and Jesus speaking to the Jewish authorities here, identifying himself as a Samaritan, as yes. kind of the other. And so it's interesting to think of it in that way. Well, see, with that, and this is where, again, I appreciated the, the excuse that you brought in, uh, all analogies fall apart, because I think you laid out the historical animosity between uh, Jew and Samaritan really well. The Samaritans really do historically. They're, they're, they have the truth of God, 
but they have intermingled it into false worship. So it's not like they don't know who God is, the God of the Jews, but they also put him along other gods or diminished his godness, however you want to put it. And, and so with that, you run the risk of, oh, Jesus is Samaritan who does false worship. No, no, not that way. Um, he, he's the good part of the Samaritan, and it, it falls apart. But I really like your statement, identifying as the other. Because when we look at our salvation, when we look at the work needed to, to be done for our uh, forever, our justification, it has to take place in the other. And that other is always Jesus. It can't take place in me. It can't take place in you. I can't do it for you, so on and so forth. And so the person that is actual or uh, God who, uh, why we were still yet sinners and enemies to God, came and delivered us. And I really like that picture and that imagery. And I think the parable sets that up. And again, I, I appreciate your, your statement because it's the safeguarding of Christ, the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of all that we have. Um, we can't look at this parable and set up doctrine, set up, um, oh, this is what it really means. At the end of the day, it is who's doing the saving work? Jesus. He comes as truly somebody outside of everything we know and understand. He doesn't do what we think should be done. I, I go back to, to your statement um, when you're setting up the uh, historical uh, relationship. Uh, James and John see the Samaritans and the rejection of Jesus. What do they want to do? It's not Jesus. I think if we just teach them more, I think if we just spend a little bit more time, it's wipe them out. Jesus, you are on this mission to show mercy and peace to the people. So in a demonstration of your mercy and peace, can we strike exactly. them down? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I think um, to push this one final point as we're trying to figure out where yeah. oh, where's, yeah. where's Jesus in this parable, uh, I think it's a compelling note to maybe place him in the position of the Samaritan here, because in verse 33, the Samaritan, when he sees this Jewish man beaten, left for dead, uh, it says he had compassion. Yeah. And the, the Greek there uh, is really this, this gut churning, his stomach moved within him, this compassion that is, I mean, like when you feel it inside. Mm -hmm. And that specific word in the Greek is used a couple times, especially in the Gospel of Luke, and it's, it's applied to Jesus. So he sees people who are not getting it, uh, they're being led astray by, by bad religious leaders, and mm -hmm. he has compassion on them. And so it's interesting that it's the very same word used there in verse 33. So there's my final pitch for, for who Jesus is in the story, but I don't know if we can say definitively. No, and I agree. And what's really nice about this is there's not a one-to-one -one correlation. Um, we see Christological uh, implications in several of the, the robbed, the person robbed, the Samaritan, those we see um, things that we can connect and, and point to, but I, I don't, and I'm very comfortable. This is not a one-to-one -one ratio, which is nice, but then it's frustrating because then there's no nicely packaged uh, bow that this is the what it means, this is how it works, go forth and apply. It's not a 12-step program, 10-step, 3-step, whatever step. It's messy. 
And so um, as we kind of wrap up this first portion here, I think this demonstrates why it's sometimes tricky to preach on well-known yes. texts because we've been talking for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes here, and we haven't even <laughs> really read any of the text. Yeah. Um, so with that, I think it might be a good idea to look at uh, this interaction and where it comes from because I kind of find myself um, sympathizing a little bit with these lawyers that Jesus is responding to, even though the text says that they are trying to put Jesus to the test, because it seems like there might be a, some sincerity here that we miss because uh, they ask him, and again, maybe this is trying to trap Jesus, maybe they just really want to know, um, but they ask him, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And I think that's interesting in itself because you have the idea of eternal life being something that is inherited. Now, we see that they they kind of are off the mark a little bit because they make it about something they have to do, but it's interesting that the word inherit is used because it's it's this idea that eternal life is something to be given. Oh, absolutely. And again, the Pharisees, they don't like what Jesus is doing because it undermines everything that they've been teaching, it undermines their power, it undermines, well, the, the structure in which they have built everything that they need, they think they need for salvation. You do this, and let me show you how to do it, and let me judge how you do it. Here's the law, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to show you how to do it, and let me model it for you. And now we've put the Pharisees, we, they've put themselves in this position that they actually do become the middlemen. Uh, not only is it, I'm going to deliver the law, I'm going to show you, and then if you do it well enough, we can get to God. Mm -hmm. And so I, I appreciate what you just said. Um, how is the, uh, How do we inherit? How do we do the law so that we can earn it, so that we can be comfortable, so we can pat ourselves on the back and then uh, really look forward to, I did this, I get this. Right. And I, I kind of just think whatever the intentions behind the question uh, whatever those intentions are, I think there is kind of a genuine fear of missing out on, yes, well, on the kingdom of God. Um, so with that, uh, Jesus says, you know, what's what's the law say? What do you do? And they actually have the right answer. They say, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus goes from just giving uh, a theological lesson mm -hmm. To giving really a lesson in practical theology, yeah. Because he takes the right answer, love God and love your neighbor, and then he gives an example of what that actually looks like. No, and that's kind of the neat thing about what Jesus does. Uh, look at the Ten Commandments on the Sermon on the Mount: "You shall not murder." And everybody's like, "Oh, good! I didn't murder anybody today. I'm doing good." And Jesus says, "That's not what I'm talking about." If you hate your neighbor, your brother, you are guilty of this. And opening up this text, this love your neighbor, love God aspect, we really see that it becomes a sacrificial life. We see this relationship. Who is your neighbor and what are you to do for them? You are to sacrifice for them. Let me tell you a story. And I always like the, the narratives and the parables that Jesus brings because, again, it's messy. There's no one-to-one -one correlation. And, it, you know, it's not just, let me um, illustrate what I'm talking about so that you'll get it. He actually, I think, kind of 
makes this as clear as mud outside of the fact of, well, be like the Samaritan. That, that, that's a horrible statement to say to the Pharisees, the Jews of Jews, be like the Samaritan. No, I'll never be like that. They're, they're, they're evil. They're bad. But look how big and the connection to your answer, love God, love your neighbor. The guy outside of our community or whatever is doing that. And that's the the messy part of this, because with that question, who is my neighbor, you know, Jesus could say, well, it's the guy that lives next door. Right. That's your neighbor. Yeah. Because that's fair enough. We we usually, well, not so much nowadays, but back then, I'm sure you knew who your neighbors oh, yeah. were and you interacted with them. So to love them as yourself, okay, that seems, that's you know, easy. yeah, it's a bit of a stretch, mm. but doable. Right. But now when Jesus brings in the fact that you are supposed to love those who are seen as your enemies. Yes. Well, that's where, like you said, it, it, it gets a little messy, and it's it probably leaves them thinking, oh, man, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Well, what, what's even bigger about this is in Christ, we have the freedom to love our neighbor and even our neighbor who may be our enemy. And this is hard because, as you said, my next-door neighbor, I know who that is. I know their life. I know what they're doing. I know how to participate in that. That's easy. What about the person I don't get along with? What about the person I don't actually know, the, the stranger? I, I like your statement, the other. Mm -hmm. Because by nature, we don't like the unknown. And the unknown is not good. And we should um, stay away from it. We should not deal with it. Whatever negative aspect to that. And Jesus says, no, get in there, get messy. And love your neighbor. And even, to go even further, um, even one who has done you wrong, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, Luther has a comment on this uh, where he says, even one who has done me some sort of injury or harm does not stop being my neighbor. Yeah. And so when you think about it that way, then you go, oh, man. Because <laughs> yeah. then it's really hard, because uh, then you really have to, you know, even show God's love to those who who truly may not deserve it, and you you want to withhold it, and like James and John in Luke chapter nine, you want to strike them down with fire from heaven because they're so annoying or they they did you wrong in some kind of way. Um, but Luther even goes, no, they don't stop being your neighbor just because you don't like them or right. they're annoying or they did something to you. That still puts them if they're someone outside of yourself, they're your neighbor. Yeah, and then we think ah. Man, Jesus did it again. He's making it hard to yeah. follow him. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a wonderful text uh, to to wrestle with, and we should wrestle with it uh, because it is the application of God's love upon us into our life, not only with Him but with one another. And um, so, Vicar, I want to thank you so much for your your help in this this podcast. Um, this is your last podcast. Oh, I didn't even realize. I, I know. And look at you. you. You just jumped in and you want to talk about the text. Um, but with all sincerity, I, I really appreciate it. I remember the, the first couple of episodes, uh, your, your, the, the timidness that you, you approached this. Because <laughs> you had things to say, but it was, okay, I'm just going to say this really quietly and move on. Um, but your insight has been so beneficial to me. Um, I can't tell you how many ideas I've stolen to make my own and then to pat myself, look how smart I am. Um, 
your contribution has been so beneficial, not just to me, but to, to our listeners. And then uh, not only that, but then for Sundays in your sermon. Thank you. I, I really appreciate all that you have done, uh, not only your willingness, but uh, the, the, the gentleness that you come into this. And um, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. The pleasure has been mine. Uh, and for those, uh, nobody was in the room with us, but when we finished our first podcast, I still remember this. <laughs> I, you know, I always want to improve and do things better. So we finished the, the first podcast together, and, uh, and I said— so what can I do better next time? And you just looked at me dead-faced, and you were like, you need to talk more. <laughs> so so uh, at, at that prompting, um, so far, that's how we've gone uh, since then. So Absolutely. it's been really fun. It's been a pleasure. Um, you know, it's something I didn't think I was going to be doing, but I'm very delighted that I had the chance to, to help out. Well, you truly, the, the invitation stands. If you ever want to come back, uh, we will always have a microphone open for you. Uh, if you know you're preaching somewhere and you want to help out, uh, you are more than welcome anytime to come back and help. Sounds good. Well, God's blessings be upon all who are listening, and we look forward to our next episode as we continue with the life of Christ and in His Word. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.